defense attorney, Neil Rockheim. Hey everyone, it's Neil Rockheim, criminal defense lawyer, trial lawyer, host of Killer Cross-Examination podcast where we focus on issues in the legal system and in society and current events and elsewhere. And our goal is always to help you get more justice in your own lives and, of course, more justice in the courtroom. And I'm going to rant. I'm going to rant for the next, I don't know how long, however long this episode is, I'm going to rant about tough judges, the, the judges that pride themselves on being known as tough the ones who think I am proud of my reputation as a tough judge. I am a tough sentencing judge. I am known to among all of the people in my community, among all the people in the courtrooms that I am a tough judge. This episode is about them. I'm not talking about this difficult judges. I've talked about difficult judges and judges that make it difficult to practice or judges that, that give us hard times on legal rulings and get in the way of trials. I'm not talking about those judges. I'm talking about the judges that pride themselves, that almost want it to, they want something above the courtroom door. If they could have it above their courtroom door, they would have it up there and it would say, like, behind these doors is um, is a bench made of, uh, gold railing, marble, marble walls, and a tough as nails judge. They almost wanted to say, don't F with me. Don't tread with me. Don't tread on me. Don't mess with me. You come into my courtroom, you better realize that I will max you out. This episode is devoted to those judges. Because quite honestly, I've had it up to here with them. I don't get it. I don't understand entering into a business or entering into a profession, I should say, not a business, entering into a profession where you take an oath and then part of that oath is to attempt to represent they're not representing and protecting the community. We don't elect judges to protect the community. We elect prosecutors to protect the community, and we hire peace officers, public safety officers, and police officers to protect the community. We elect judges to um, impartially and without passion or prejudice to dispense justice, to ensure that the rights of the accused who come before you, the rights of the litigants to a case, plaintiff or defendant in a civil case, petitioner respondent in in a in like a certain type of family court case like a PPO and in a criminal case prosecution and defendant we we elect judges to impartially and without passion or prejudice dispense with justice that's their job and part of that means that you have to like people because you're seeing people you have to have empathy and sympathy you're seeing people at their worst, at their most vulnerable. People who are down, who've done wrong, who've made mistakes, whose lives are going to be irreparably changed by the bad decision that they made. And yet, so in order to, to rule, in order to dispense justice in those moments, in those cases, to be able to relate to them and to feel for them and to feel sympathy, empathy, and emotional and an emotional connection. And you can't do that when you're running around with a cape on and with some kind of symbol on your chest that's supposed to tell everybody or with a pin or a note 
or the, the proudly proclaiming yourself or letting it be known that you are the hanging judge. And I'm sick of the hanging judge. I, it is antithetical and inconsistent with the oath of office, with the job of a judge to proudly proclaim yourself to be the tough judge. I'm sorry. That, that doesn't impress anybody. You're not helping. You're not helping the people that are appearing before you as defendants. You're not helping improve. You're not helping get them on the right track. You're not helping rehabilitating them. You're not helping improve, improving society uh, when those individuals make it through the other end of their, the case. You're not helping. And if you think you're helping, let me... Let me click on the light bulb, get the light bulb above you. Let me turn on that light bulb to let you know that you're not. Maybe it's permitting you or permitting them to go home at night and to think to themselves, I'm tough, I'm strong, I'm a very tough, hard-ass judge. Maybe it's allowing you to, to stake out some political position where you feel like politically your future were you to be appointed to some other job or some other position in life, you could say, I was the, I was always known to be a, a tough judge, but then just say it, then admit that that's why you're doing it, that you're not doing it. If you're doing it for a personal reason, because you feel like it makes you feel tough or you're not capable of making the, the tough call, you're not capable of giving someone compassion empathy or sympathy, then admit it. Then you're basically admitting that this job is not for you. And if you're the judge who decides that you need to, to that you're doing it because you want to keep your options open, should you for a, a future position on the federal bench or a position in the, in the, in the court of appeals or Supreme court, or you want to, you want your record to reveal, you never want your record to show that you were anything other than, tough on crime, so to speak, then, then you're basically admitting that you're, you're, you, the oath means nothing to you. You're saying that what you're doing, you're doing for political purposes. It's all calculated, which means you're not exhibiting empathy, sympathy, and understanding. You're not balancing the factors that one has to balance when you're sentencing people. You're not trying to understand how somebody could get themselves to that very low point in life. You're just being political. If you were to admit out of those things to yourself, I hope you would tender your resignation as a judge because you're essentially conceding that you're not able to do the job. You know, the phrase hanging judge goes back to this guy named Isaac Charles Parker. Believe it or not, Isaac Charles Parker was this uh, a, a judge. He was born in 1838. He died in 1896. He served as a United States representative from Missouri, and he was appointed to the United States District Court of the United States District Court for the Western District of Arkansas. And he had jurisdiction over what then was known as Indian Territory or Native American Territory. And he became known as the hanging judge of the American Old West. He actually sentenced, they say, in 21 years, that uh, he sentenced 160 people to death. Now, the hanging judge, can you just imagine the, what kind of intolerance, what kind of asshole you have to be how intolerant, how um, um, lacking in, in compassion and understanding. Imagine how jaded and how cold your life view must be that you actually ordered 160 people to death. There have been people who have been prosecuted and convicted and court-martialed for killing um, a, a tenth of that number, a fifth of that number, and they're labeled mass murderers, but you sentenced 
160 people to death. That's a guy who is proud of it. That's a guy who is proud of his, of, it, of being known as a, as a tough guy. Being known as a, as a, as a difficult judge. Being known as a harsh sentencer. That, that's a guy that reveled in it. That's the hanging judge. That's a guy that grabbed his lapels like this. Proudly, probably smoking some, you know, some tobacco type pipe or cigar and proudly with his sifting his brandy or his whiskey. Proudly thought of himself as a hanging judge. I'm known as a hanging judge. He probably got off on that. Sorry to be so graphic, but it's disgusting. And that mentality still, that mentality still bleeds into certain courtrooms and on into certain benches and into the, in my opinion, the hearts and minds of some judges who still sit on the bench. They pride themselves on people in their community viewing them as tough. Ironically, most of them probably couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. Most of them probably never actually been in any sort of real fisticuffs. Most of them have never really had to, to deal with you know, to be on the receiving end of that kind of judgment. My guess is if they were, they would find a way to distinguish between their, what they've experienced and the experiences of the, 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 the sentences that they hand out. But that's a whole, I don't know their backgrounds. I don't know their histories. Some I've, I've heard stories about or anecdotes about. I, I, I blow all that up. Doesn't matter to me what your history is. Doesn't matter to me what your story is. Listen, if you're sentencing people harshly because and in, in, in you're proudly identifying yourself as a tough sentencing judge, like better not get in front of me because I'll you know throw the book at you. And, and, and if your story is is that you suffered as a child, then you shouldn't be a judge. If your story is is that you you were a victim of crime, then and you then that tells me that you can't put that aside and you can only empathize with someone who was an alleged victim of crime. If you're telling me that you are you you you've read papers and have been emotionally uh, moved by different cases you've read and and tragedies that have uh, made their way into the criminal justice system, like people who've been killed in car accidents or or been robbed or then you know what or, or have been the victim of identity theft or fraud or something like that, and and you're hey I. I, I feel for them. You know what? That tells me that you can't put aside your passions and prejudices. But I'm, but quite, quite candidly, I, I'm, I've had it up to here. And if you were to ask the lawyers out there that are brave enough to speak up, they've had it up to here with you too. We've had it. I mean, as I'm thinking about this over and over, I'm thinking that, you know, that there's, the idea of sentencing people, that we create guidelines, we give people, we give judges sentencing guidelines, which are these factors to consider. But the factors, when you add them up and, and score them, the factors have such a wide range that you could find some judges that say, I think probation is appropriate. And you can have some judges in the very, using the very same guidelines say, I think prison is appropriate. And you have certain judges that always fall on the jail or prison side of the, the, the sentencing guideline range. It's absurd. To them, jail or prison seems always or near always or mostly appropriate. Or at least seems to always be, when you compare their sentences with their peers, they always seem to be three, four, five, six months more. And then, so the sentencing guidelines, things that we created with the idea of trying to, 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 to rein in these, the hanging judge, rein in the judges who think that they are, you know, they're, they're tough, to make sentences more 
consistent between cases, case one, case two, case three. The fact of the matter is, is that we're still not seeing that because some judges just choose to always occupy that far end of the spectrum. And they almost pride themselves on it. They like their reputations. Yet what we don't realize is their reputations are, are undermining the, 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 the legal system because people go in the courtroom and they have people show up for court thinking they get a recommendation from a probation officer or from a probation department. They get a recommendation saying they're going to look at probation. So they read a report prepared by the Department of Corrections and a probation officer and approved by a supervisor, and it recommends probation, so no incarceration. They walk in there anticipating they're going to get probation. They have jobs, homes, financial obligations, family, children. They walk in relying on that report to get probation or thinking they're going to get probation. And then they get the rug pulled off from under them and they get sentenced to jail or prison. It, it, for what? What are you accomplishing? Who are you impressing? What are you trying to accomplish? Is your only goal punishment? Is there no other aspect or angle to those sentences besides punishment? How about rehabilitation? How about empathy, sympathy? You know, just deciding that you're tough, all that does is it just makes, all you're doing is, is choosing not to, to make the, the, the difficult decisions. And I'm not saying that it's easy to put people in jail, but if you find that that tends to be the most common that's the most common denominator in your sentencing of all of these cases. And you look and you find yourself to be on that end of the spectrum compared to your peers. Maybe that's a reason as opposed to taking pride in that. Maybe that's a reason to stop and to look and think, you know, maybe I'm just not empathetic, sympathetic and understanding enough. Maybe I'm being too tough. Maybe I'm not making the right calls and they're hard decisions. They're not the decisions to send people to jail but they're the ones were to exercise my discretion and choose to have hope in people. And I was thinking back to the, you know, this hanging judge, this guy I mentioned a few moments ago, this guy who's known as like Isaac Charles Parker, this guy who's known as a hanging judge, they actually still have like his courtroom is, is still is still constructed at the Fort Smith National Historic Site. They still have the gallows. They reconstructed the gallows where people hung at his hand. Makes you wonder, when you look around and you can think if in Michigan in particular, if judges had the discretion to issue like a death penalty type sentence, you look around and you look at the judges and you think, which one of you judges, who among you would be the, the judge or the judges that I think would, one, have the ability to choose death as a sentence, but two, that you would actually do it, and three, would do it frequently? I bet you most of us, we could probably say the same number of judges that would fit in that category. And that, that's not a great category to be in. I'm sorry if you think that somehow, if somewhere along the way, if you got confused, or got your wires crossed, or someone told you or caused you to think, or somewhere you were led to believe that being a good judge meant being tough and harsh. I, I just, that's just, those two things do not go hand in hand. And I don't know, maybe you, you miss some of the things that some of the good qualities that some of the more compassionate and understanding judges had on the bench. Some of the great judges of all time had that compassion. I don't know. And while judges these days can't just point their finger and say, I'm sentencing you to death, the, they can sentence people to some pretty awful sentences. 
we were thinking back to some of the horror stories, and thankfully we don't have a ton of them, but there are horror stories. I'm not going to pretend that my firm and I, my compatriots and I, that somehow we're immune from horrible sentencing stories, because we are. We're not. We, we have, we've had them. So to be clear, maybe that wasn't my best sentence ever, but we've had them. We've had cases where we walked out of court and sat there and thought to ourselves, like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what just happened? You've got to be kidding me. And some of those were in front of judges that we knew had reputations, had the reputation of being one of these, you know, tough on crime. I'm a tough sentencer. One of those judges. We represented a, um, an African-American um, young man. I mean, he really was like a, a young adult, like a kid, in my mind, a kid. So he, he was old enough to be treated as an adult in the legal system, but he was young enough where he was eligible for programs in Michigan, which were called, um, which, which have cases where you're going to have a conviction taken under advisement, which means that you won't be convicted of a crime. It won't go on your record. You have um, the judge can sentence you to a period of probation. And at the end of the probation, if you've done everything you're supposed to do, the case gets dismissed. And it's basically like a, you know, like a second chance, like a youthful offender type program. And we have that as a, so it's not anything, we have that as a matter of law. Like it is something that, that can be legally applied to a case system between at the time between the age of 17 and 21. I represent this kid. African-American kid in mid-Michigan. Um, he was charged with the theft offense. The prosecutor gives us a good deal. Um, very, very fair, reasonable plea agreement. But the judges has a policy. Uh, I don't plea bargain. I don't sentence bargain cases. I won't agree to a particular sentence. This judge has that power. I won't agree to a sentence, says the judge. I, I'm not going to be bound. And, and the prosecutor, we said the prosecutor, well, what if we have an agreement, a sentencing agreement with the prosecutor and us? I won't be bound by that. You can recommend something, but I won't be bound. So he was tough, man. He, wanted, he was tough. Wanted to let us know that he was the man in charge. But I'm fair. I'll consider whatever. I'll consider everything. The prosecutor agrees to a, a charge reduction, agrees to have this offense reduced to a less serious offense, agrees. The prosecutor agrees that this kid should receive this deferral type statute. He doesn't object. Because no prior record. Everything is lined up perfectly. And the judge just says, nope. Nope. No. Inexplicable. Inexplicable that he would just, it, it, it blew our mind then. It, repeating the story now still blows my mind. Still have no explanation for it. I still sit there and I, Make that like emoji where, you know, the glasses emoji where you're looking up and kind of doing this. Like, I still, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I'm still like, what? I still don't understand it. Doesn't make any sense to me. And it didn't. We were infuriated because it was just like, it was just like the tough judge letting us know that he was the tough judge. He was, he was the man. He was tough. He was going to let us know that. I'm tough and I make the decisions. Even though the best decision, the easiest decision, the best decision could have been to give this young man probation and allow him to continue on in his life without and let him earn, let him, let him, let him earn with compliance and good behavior. Not having this conviction entered on your record. It was just, you know, just a judge wanting to remind us that he was in charge and he was tough. Could think of another. Another woman 
in a court in which a, a judge is known, let it be known. Judges let it out there, we'll put it out there, that certain kind of crime, a drunk driving offense, nope, I don't want to get that offense in front of me. Don't want to be charged with that in front of me. Got is tough on crime, tough on this in particular. Her prior, she had a prior drunk driving offense from 20 years ago. And in Michigan, you can enhance a prior drunk, a, a, a current alcohol-related offense with one from 20 years ago. Can't. Too far in the past. Woman was a, 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 a one, was a, a sole provider in a household. She had a good job and had an offense 20 years ago. Jail. And not just like a day or two. Enough jail that as we recalled it, she lost her job. (laughs) We're talking about a a case out of Missouri where a guy's on probation and was then sexually assaulted. So she's on probation and she's sexually assaulted by her landlord, but she was sent to prison for changing her residence without getting advance permission. Like, you know, oh, You changed your residence, ma'am, did you? You changed your residence so that um, without telling us and you were sexually assaulted by your landlord, but you changed your residence. Well, you needed to get permission from me before you changed your residence. Prison. It's like, let me just show everybody how I'm tough. I'm so tough. I can send people to prison. I am a tough judge. Tough. I mean, guys in my office remember this one. Represented a trucker. I mean, he's a great guy. I mean, a trucker. So he had all of his commercial driver's licenses. He had never had any, never even had a traffic ticket. Ended up in a really bad accident. Ended up taking, um, ended up taking a life. I mean, this was a guy lived his entire life between the lines, literally. And everybody agreed it was just an accident. No alcohol involved. No, wasn't alcohol. It wasn't like a case in which a guy was drinking or texting or watching a YouTube video. Committed a moving violation and then a moving violation which resulted in death. So it's like a traffic offense that results in death. And in Michigan, that offense can be uh, charged as a misdemeanor. Everybody agreed it was an accident and it was tragic. Even everybody, the prosecutor, everybody Oh, this is a tragedy for both sides. Wasn't intentional. In my personal opinion, it shouldn't even be a crime. Crime should require like, you know, some kind of evil, malevolent thought. They should require some kind of criminal intent, some criminal mindset. We don't charge accidents. We We do now, but we shouldn't charge things that are accidental as crimes. But... Everybody called this one an accident. Everybody kept saying a tragedy. Oh, it's a tragedy. Oh, it's a tragedy for both sides. Oh, it's a tragedy. But the judge wanted to show us who was boss. Judge wanted to let us know. Gave that client the maximum sentence. A year in jail. What are you doing? For what point? What are you hoping to accomplish? You're just trying to, like, act tough? Is it vengeance? Because if it's vengeance, then that's not a reason to, to sentence. 
You can't put aside your the. Your, is it feeling empathy or sympathy for the 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 decedent? It's an accident. Of course you have. Of course it's sad. Of course it's tragic. Of course you feel bad about that a uh, a person lost their life in an accident. We don't compound one accident. We don't tragedy by saying, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get that guy who didn't intend to do this, who didn't mean to do it who's cried every day since then, who we could only charge with a misdemeanor. I'm going to get that guy back for you. I'm going to show him. What are you hoping to accomplish? Are you thinking that if you put someone in jail for, this guy in jail for a year, that it's somehow going to, going to deter other people from getting involved in accidents? It's not. Obviously, because it's not intentional. Are you going to deter him? Like, so he won't do it again? He could have an accident again. It's entirely possible. What is the goal of a sentence like that? Other than just because you want to be tough or you're afraid to exercise your discretion and to not give somebody jail because of how it will look. But that's the hanging judge mentality. In my opinion. It's unjustified. And it really has no place in our legal system. Just like we we got rid of shouldn't pay homage and admire the hanging judges of the the 19th century in the old wild west. We shouldn't be admiring and encouraging judges nowadays to be hanging judges in a different sense. The goal of a sentence is to rehabilitate. The goal of the sentence is to what? To, to, To penalize? But what are you accomplishing with the year? Are you trying to reform some kind of behavior? Because that's not going to do anything. It was an accident. I can think of another case where somebody ended up getting, ended up working out a, a plea on a case. Some of the charges the prosecutor brought just didn't fit. Probation, the Department of Excuse me. The Department of Corrections recommended a probationary sentence. Guy had no record, was in therapy. He was doing well. Judge gives him a year. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, for what? Tough guy? Is that it? That, just, just to be tough? Is that what you think is the right thing to do? Do you think you're helping society in some way? I can go on and on. Another judge who gave a uh, two people were tied together in a in a in a case. Both pled to the exact same charge. Both pled to the exact same crime. One was more culpable. The other wasn't. One was sentenced to sixty days in jail. The one that was more culpable got no time. How do you make sense of that? And the one that was sentenced to no jail or no time, that 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 co-defendant, co-conspirator, she'd been doing that stuff for a lot longer. She had a long history of it being engaged in that criminal activity. How do you explain that one? That he got 60 days and she, the more culpable, the more responsible of the two, got less, got no time. Believe it or not, there's actually some study out there. I couldn't believe this. This shows you why giving judges the power just to put people in jail, like I'm describing here, needs to change. This study actually, there's actually a study about this in the International Weekly Journal of Science. And it's apparently some, some um, it's called Nature, nature.com. International Weekly Journey, or excuse me, International Weekly Journal of Science. It says, hungry judges dispense rough justice. When they need a break, decision makers gravitate towards the easy option. A prisoner's chance of parole depends on when the judge hearing the case last took a break. Say researchers who have studied decisions in, in this case, in Israeli courts, as judges tire and get hungry, 
they slip towards the easy option of denying parole. So that means that you need to be like, you need to get your case heard shortly after the judges had like a Snickers. So if a judge is hangry and you can offer them a Snickers, otherwise your client is looking at a harsher sentence. Is that why this one case is one where the more culpable, the more responsible of the two ended up in, in getting probation, but the other was sentenced to jail because they were sentenced weeks apart. And when the judge, maybe that explains it, that, that certainly explains giving more of an explanation than relying on the facts of the, the two cases. Maybe the judge was just hangry. Maybe he was just hungry. Maybe he was frustrated that day. Maybe he had a bad day at home. I don't know. But when I see a sentence like that, a sentencing disparity like that, I think to myself, okay, you want to know what? I think I think you end up I think we 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 when we can't base it on the facts, it's something else. It means some other factor could be pride, could be anger, could be hostility, could be having a bad day, could be not feeling well, could be sick, could be hungry. I don't know. But we're dealing with human lives here. And if all of those factors, those outside factors, like I had a bad morning, I had a bad phone call with my, um, you know, from my my kid in college, uh, a, a check that I wrote to something bounced and I got whatever the reason is that got the judge in the bad mood. I, I just haven't had my morning tapioca, my morning tapioca pudding. Whatever the reason is that passed the judge in that bad mood when he or she is dispensing that sentence. That tells me that there is a flaw in the legal system and not one that like my peers may chalk up to, oh, you just got a bad draw. You caught him on a bad day. Fuck that. The hell with you. I caught him on a bad day. I caught her on a bad day. I got one chance to come in here with this client whose life and future are hanging in the balance. And I'm sorry, I'm not okay with the, his or her life hanging in the balance when the judge might just be hungry as that study showed, or in a bad mood. I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. That's accepting defeat. That's accepting that somehow someone's bad day can, can, can offer an explanation, a reasonable explanation, a tolerable explanation for why someone's life was just altered. That's not okay for me. I, I'm sorry, I don't have a way to check the judge's sugar level and to ask, just, can I just give you this short questionnaire to test how your day is going before I proceed with sentencing? Are you having a good day? Is your home life okay? Are your kids treating you okay? Is your spouse treating you well? Are your finances in order? Are your peers bothering you? Have you had any of the lawyers upset you that day? I don't know. There's no questionnaire. I'm not comfortable that, that I... These are all unknowables because there's no questionnaire I can give the judge to have him or her fill that out before I have to trot, you know, John Doe public out or Jane Doe public out in front of the judge to be sentenced to know whether or not you're having a good or bad day. I can't do that. So guess what? Since I don't have the luxury of knowing whether you're having a good or bad day or whether you're hungry or not, you have to put all of that other shit aside. And you need to sentence the person. And you got to put aside your reputation and your desire to be known as a hard ass or your goal, your, your inability to separate yourself from the victim or your identification with the prosecutor or with people who are victimized by those, by, by someone who committed a crime or by future political aspirations or whatever else drives you to somehow deviate from looking at the person before you as a sympathetic person deserving of empathy. What are you going to have like a meter outside where, you know, where it has a, a meter green to red in the middle and you'll be green and then yellow and then orange and then red. And when you walk up, you'll see the meter of the judge and his or her mood decide you come up with a reason for 
that that's not going to happen. So it's not on our it's not our responsibility to figure out whether they're having a good or bad day. Although we have to do that in order to protect our clients, it's really their job to set aside that stuff. Now we've all sat in a courtroom. Every lawyer worth his or her salt has sat in a courtroom and watched some lawyer blow up the day. I mean, like tie a grenade to their chest, tie like a claymore to their chest and pull it and just set the judge off. We've all seen it. We've all seen, we've all seen situations of lawyers that, or, or defendants or, or litigants, but we've seen it where they've just absolutely set themselves on fire and the judge is just pissed. And we're all looking at each other and going, oh, that's great. You got him in a really shitty mood now. We've, I've sat there and done that and watched that and thought, oh, man, I got to find a way to break the tension or I got to find a way to get my case moved for the day or I got to, you know, let, let it get towards the end of the docket so that the judge has cooled off a bit. You know, I, we've all sat there and watched that. And I even believe in those moments that we should be expecting. Yes, we do that. We, we, we have to do what's right to protect our client. And if you see a judge that's having a really bad day and it's apparent, you got to try to do what you can to defuse it or to get out, get out of the way of that runaway train. But it doesn't mean that I'm okay with the fact that the runaway train is in fact a runaway train. It means that I can still expect and demand that the judge not be a runaway train. So you take a deep breath, blow it out, do some yoga pose, turn on some calm, put on your little waterfall on your bench, whatever it is that chills you the fuck out and set aside whatever is bothering you and focus on the case at hand. I mean... I mean, I, 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 can't, I hear stories, I see stories, I've sat in them, I've, 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 I've been there where I, I have a case somewhere that I'm not necessarily in my backyard. Someone hires me to go do a case in some other part, you know, not, not in my immediate vicinity, court someplace else that I'm not that familiar with the judge at the bench. And I, one of the first questions we'll ask. What's the judge like? I mean, it's just absurd. Yes, we do it. And I know that we have to do it. And we do it. And I continue to do it. But that's because we have to do it. It's because I have to know, what's the judge like? Oh, really? Known as a hard ass? Really? Like a tough guy? Oh, great. You know? I mean, it's 2021. And we're still dealing with some judges that have the mentality of like a 19th century hanging judge. It's enough. Like the worst case that I ever took part in, worst sentence that I, uh, and I'm sort of burying my soul here by telling you some of the, 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 the results that we've walked out of courtrooms with and uh, we're just so disappointed. And I'm telling you, I'm not sitting here trying to, to pat myself on the back and just shine my own apple and to tell you that every result that we get is awesome. I'm incredibly proud of the results that we get, but I am disappointed in some of them. There are some sentencing decisions that have been handed down to us that to this day I'm disgusted with and I'm not proud of. I'm proud of our effort in the case. I'm proud of the fight that we put in but I'm not proud of the legal system's end conclusion. And I'd be sitting here and I would just be disingenuous and I weren't to admit that I've had results like that. And it's those results on one end that push us as hard as we can that are in the back of our mind in the back of my mind that sit here, the back of my mind that are stuck in my throat, like that thing you can't get rid of in the back of your throat. 
you can't get rid of it. That thing that's stuck in your throat. It's those results that are like stuck in the back of your mind, in the back of, of, of your throat that push us to do the work that we do, to work as hard as we do, to put as much effort into, the, into humanizing our clients so that we don't ever have to experience that level of disappointment again. And the reality is that sometimes, no matter what we do, we're going to run into like a buzzsaw of a judge like that. No matter how well we write, no matter how well we try the case, no matter how much our client is humanized, no matter how passionately we argue for that client, and how right, how obviously right a lenient, sympathetic sentences, there are some judges that just have that mentality. And of course, we're going to try to figure our way around it. But my point is that we shouldn't have to. I think of one guy was one of the worst cases I ever tried. A horrible case. We tried it. He was offered plea deal after plea deal after plea deal. He turned them all down. Then he fired his lawyer. Well, I shouldn't say he fired his lawyer quit. Then I took over the case. We took over the case. It was a very difficult trial. Very difficult case. And I remember um, the judge wouldn't offer. uh, If he pled guilty, the judge said she would agree to give him 20 years. A lot of time. And it's relative. It's a lot of time for anybody. But he had turned down. Before we were his lawyers, he had turned down many plea offers for and, and sentence offers and plea offers for, for much less than that. He went to trial on the case because that's what he wanted. And we fought a hard, it was a hard, passionate, well-fought defense. I mean, we put our all into this defense against the greatest of odds, against everybody who lined up against us, so it seemed. I'm talking about, you know, David and Goliath and David, me, William, we have no sling and we have no rocks. But our client did not want to surrender. He wanted to fight. And that's what we did. We put up a valiant effort. So we anticipated that there'd be, we'd hoped there'd be a sentence that would be somewhat similar to what he'd been offered by the prosecutor for all that time, but it turned down. And maybe he had offered the, the sentence that the judge had proposed that she could live with. And then the judge sentenced him at sentencing to an ungodly number, the most I've ever seen anybody sentence in a criminal case. In any one of my cases, I should say. And as bad as the case was, and it was a bad case, and as bad as his record was, um, he was sentenced to more time in, in prison than people who are facing, who are sentenced in murder cases. And no one died. I mean... And I thought that's just too much power to give to one particular person. It's too much power to give to a person, in this case, the judge. It's just too much. What factors are affecting him or her? What life factors? What personality issues? What, what issues on that day? And does the judge have the ability to put those things aside? Do we have the ability to begin to look at this and think to my, think to ourselves, you know what? We don't need egoists. We don't need people who are interested in continuing to foster a tough on crime reputation from the bench because that's not their job. Their job is to dispense justice without passion or prejudice evenly, even handedly. It's time to hang 
up, if you will, to put on a hanger, to hang up, the, the hanging judge moniker. It's time to start to, it's time to stop. It's, we've had enough. No more, we shouldn't tolerate. And we should expect judges to have the opposite point of view. I don't want to be known as a one-trick pony. I don't want to be known as the toughest judge on the bench. I don't want to be known as someone who is viewed in a similar light to the, I'm tough on crime. I'm a tough judge. You don't want to come in front of me. It's time that the legal system improves. And I think that it's acceptable for us to expect it to improve. I think it's okay. No, it's more than okay. It's, it's appropriate. It's righteous for us to say, you know what? We don't want hanging judges. It's not what this is about. You want to be a tough guy? Go to the gym. You want to be an advocate against a particular type of crime? Retire from the bench and go advocate for a special interest group devoted to that particular type of crime. You want to advocate or be empathetic with victims? Then retire and go join or start or work with a victim advocacy group. But you can't do both. Or you shouldn't be permitted to do both. We can expect and we do expect better. Enough of the hanging judges, all right? Enough. Hey, this is Neil Rockind. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Killer Cross-Examination, your podcast where we try to help you find more justice in the courtroom and more justice in your own lives. Killer, 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 killer cross-examination. A podcast by your host, the nationally renowned criminal defense attorney, Neil Rockheim.